Here we go. It's Monday, April the 24th in the year of our Lord, 2023. You are listening to Law and Gospel here on KFUO. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to be looking at a lesson for the fourth Sunday of Easter, which is April the 30th, 2023. This is kind of known as Good Shepherd Sunday in the old series of readings, and it certainly is talking about Jesus as the Good Shepherd. That's found in John chapter 10. But during the Easter season, the Old Testament lesson is replaced with readings from the book of Acts. Uh, This is from Acts chapter 2. The epistle reading is 1 Peter chapter 2, 19 to 25. And and that's what I want to look at right now. Because there's a statement in there that really can cause a problem. We've been talking about recently how religions try and get you to be saved. Some try and tell you, once you learn enough knowledge, then that knowledge is what saves you. Others say, No, you have to have some kind of an experience like speaking in tongues or inviting Christ into your heart, this kind of thing. That's what saves you. And then, of course, the third one, which is really quite common, is you're saved because God appreciates the good works you are doing, and he therefore rewards you with salvation. Now, That comes about in the idea that we need to follow the example of Jesus. But we're not able to follow the example of Jesus as an unbeliever. Because as an unbeliever, following the example of Jesus means to not only do a good work, but to have the proper motivation in doing a good work, which is trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation, for our good, etc. And that just really doesn't happen. So a lot of religions, when they say follow the example of Jesus, they mean it in two ways. Number one, to love the Lord whoever is your God. And number two, to love your neighbor. You remember Wes Reimnitz was talking last week when he visited an individual in the hospital who had had a heart attack and almost died. And he went to visit the person and asked them, if you had died, do you think you would have gone to heaven? And the patient in the bed said, oh, I'm a pretty good person. I'm pretty sure that God would have me go into heaven. And Wes Reimnitz looked at him and said, if that is your attitude, then you would go to hell. Now, this was a man who wasn't attending church very often at all. And he really wasn't hearing the message of the gospel. 
Uh, we heard another incident where a pastor had gone into a cafe after he had preached at a church service. And the cafe steward asked him, uh, what were you doing today? Oh, I was preaching at a church. And he was asked, what were you preaching about? He says, I was preaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the cafe manager looked at him and said, what are you talking about? He, he never heard this word gospel. You see, we live in a world today where a lot of people don't have the basic knowledge of the Christian faith. And so when they think about salvation, they have all kinds of problems. They may be, well, first of all, having a hard time with their family or with their employment or with money problems. They may be despondent. They, they need help. And there are so many ways in which you hear about how to overcome these mental problems. But the only really truly way is through faith in Jesus Christ. Outside of that, these other ways are simply ways in which you may get rid of your superficial problem, but you don't get rid of the real problem within you. And that is your separation from Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So where did this idea come that we are to follow the example of Jesus? Well, I've often said one of the most important books to own is a concordance of the Bible. What is a concordance of the Bible? It has every word in the Bible in certain translations, and you look it up, let's say the word for love, and you look it up, and it'll give you all the Bible verses with the word love in it. Now, some concordances are better than others, because if it's just in English, the problem is a number of the Greek words can be translated into different English words. When we're going through the book of Proverbs, we're discovering that there can be various translations of the same verse. It doesn't change the meaning of the verse, but it gives a different kind of insight into the verse. It's kind of like, well, the feeding of the 5,000 is found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But even though it's the same event and there are no contradictions, Matthew uses it for a different purpose than does Mark, than does Luke, than does John. So they all have kind of purposes. For example, in Matthew, Jesus is the new Moses. Uh, he's the one that, well, goes 40 days in the wilderness. He is the one who is the manna from heaven, the bread of life. Uh, he is the one that feeds 5,000 people. And so Matthew is using Jesus as the new Moses. Mark, Luke, and John have different emphases of the same story. 
So you can tell a similar story of what's happened in your life, but you may use it for different purposes, uh, depending on what the story is about. Well, this is important to realize that there are Greek and Hebrew words in Aramaic that can be translated in different ways without contradicting the other passages of the Bible. So when you look look up the word love in some concordances, it will have the word love, and then you got to look and see, going through the verses, which is the verse that you're looking for. For some verses would use the word agape, that, that's the love of God toward us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Other verses will use the word philea, which simply means brotherly love. Like if a drunkard comes to your front door and asks for money, you probably won't give it to him if you don't know him. But if he's your brother, you would invite him into the house and try and help him out. So that's a different kind of love than even agape is. And in that way, you can find out what your Bible verse means. Well, in 1 Peter, it starts off that we often will endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. And Peter makes a point, what credit is it to you if when you sin, and end up with a negative consequence, you endure it. Well, that's no big deal. You deserve the negative consequence. But if when you do good and suffer for it, if you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So many Christians, even in the United States, are suffering the indignity of standing up for the Christian faith. You you try and talk about in your office that homosexuality is a sin. You could get fired for saying something like that because some places say that that's really a horrible thing to say uh, against people who are living that kind of a lifestyle. Who gives you the right to say that? You are judging them, and therefore you can get fired. So you can see that even in the United States, Christians are being put under a lot of pressure in order to forfeit what we believe. Oh, you can talk about it at church, but don't talk about it in the public square. In fact, In England, they just passed a law, I mentioned this last week, that you are not allowed to pray silently at an abortion clinic. If you go near an abortion clinic and fold your hands and are praying, you can get arrested, even if nobody hears what you are saying. This is how the devil is so powerful in legislators who have really fallen away from the word of God. 
and have become like Adam and Eve in trying to become like God by eating of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, after Peter talks about that God is pleased with you when you suffer for trusting in Jesus, listen to verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Now, when you hear that, the vast majority of people reading that will say, well, that's how I get saved. I follow in the steps of Jesus. That is obviously false teaching because an unbeliever is finding it impossible to follow in the steps of Jesus because they are unbelievers. They may outwardly maybe do certain commandments, but they don't have the proper motivation. You can see just by going to the internet and typing in example of Jesus. And here are some of the things that I found on the internet. What does it mean to live like Jesus? If we are to live the Christ-like life, we must strive with all our strength to become as he is. This sacred striving involves coming to know the Savior with his divine attributes. We must develop the ability to think, feel, and do as the Savior would as we face our earthly experiences. Now, the verbs here are very, very important. I'm just going to repeat a couple of phrases. In order to live like Jesus, we must strive. We must know the Savior with his divine attributes. We must develop the ability to think, feel, and do as the Savior would. Notice, where is the burden put? It's put on you to follow the example of Jesus. That is absolutely contrary to the Bible. To follow the example of Jesus is not my burden. It is the burden of the Holy Spirit who creates faith in me. And when I have that faith in Jesus Christ, I spontaneously desire to follow the example of Jesus. What we are talking about is one of the main distinctions of the Christian faith. Uh, for example, in Sunday's sermon, we talked about Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And he was with some disciples, two of them, that couldn't figure out why he had been crucified. And now they had heard he had risen from the dead. They were totally confused. Now, Jesus appeared to them, but they didn't recognize him. He had hid himself from their faces. All he had to do 
would show who he was, and they would have known he had risen from the dead, but he did not. Instead, he asked them questions. Well, what are you concerned about today? And they said, you are a visitor to Jerusalem and haven't heard what's been going on here? It's been three days since the man that we look to to redeem Israel has been crucified and he's dead in the tomb. We thought he was going to redeem Israel. And so we don't understand what happened. Well, Jesus just could have shown himself to be who he was. And that could have solved the problem. But instead, what does he do? He does what I consider to be the greatest Bible study in the entire Bible. We're on the road to Emmaus. He begins to go through the Old Testament books, Genesis through Malachi, in showing all of the passages, or many of them, because I don't think they had enough time. Emmaus was only seven miles from Jerusalem. They wouldn't have had enough time to go through the entire Bible. But he went through so many passages that when he was ready to leave them, they asked him, could you stay? And as he was breaking bread and eating with them, he appeared to them as he truly was, Jesus, the resurrected one. And they ran back to tell the apostles after Jesus disappeared from their sight. But notice what Jesus did. He did what every one of you who are believers are able to do. And that is simply share Bible passages. Now you gotta remember, when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, he didn't tell his uh, disciples, those two disciples, all you have to do is read what the prophets say and the apostles. Because the apostles hadn't even begun to read, or I should say, to write the Bible by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There was no New Testament at that time because Jesus had not yet arisen into heaven. There was only the Old Testament. Passages like Genesis 3.15, where God tells the serpent that through the seed of Eve would come the Messiah. Passages like the Psalms, Psalm 22, that when he comes, the Messiah will be pierced in hands and feet. That's how Jesus knew he was to be crucified. Passages like in Isaiah, that he would be whipped, that his beard would be pulled out, that he would suffer greatly. All these passages, in fact, I've kind of put together a Bible study on hundreds of passages of the Old Testament that can be found fulfilled in the New Testament. If you're interested, email me at tombaker at brick.net. That's my new email, I mean, tombaker at brick, B-R-I-C-K dot net, and ask me about that, and I'll be glad to give you information how to receive a copy. At any rate, we find Jesus using the Old Testament. You have the ability to use both the Old Testament and the New Testament. All you do is you say the Bible verses. 
uh, we talked about on Sunday that there was a daughter of Bertrand Russell, who is an atheist, well-known atheist who died and was always making fun of the Christian faith. She went to university as an atheist, but heard a Christian speak about Jesus, got interested in it, and believe it or not, she converted to the Christian faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. She married a pastor, and the two of them became missionaries and brought many people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. She was the daughter of one of the most influential atheists of all time, Bertrand Russell. So, living the example of Jesus comes about not in the area of justification, where God declares you to be righteous in his sight, but in the area of sanctification, where you begin to do the works of God with the proper motivation. So once more, don't, don't listen to the internet. I, I found a question, how do I let God in my heart? And it says there's three things that we need to do in order to give our hearts to Jesus. Number one, we're to acknowledge him. Number two, we're to confess our sin. And number three, we are to trust. Now, I don't disagree that we are to confess our sin. That's an act of repentance. And that we are to trust, that is, have faith in Jesus. Where my disagreement comes in the heading, these are three things we need to do in order to give our heart to Jesus. An unbeliever will never give his heart to Jesus as an unbeliever. Because why would you give your heart to someone whom you don't believe in? So first, how does God get in my heart? The question shouldn't be, how do I let God in my heart? But how does God get in my heart? Well, remember the parable of the lost sheep? How did the sheep get on the shoulders of Jesus? Did he jump on them? Did he get out of the pit he was in, go look for Jesus and say, carry me home? No, Jesus found him. Jesus picked the sheep up. Jesus returned the sheep home. So, you, as an unbeliever, cannot let God into your heart. God enters into your heart through faith in Jesus Christ. Another question, what does God require of us to follow his example? We are to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, that is correct, that in the life of sanctification, which is our response to being saved, then you love the mercy of God and you walk humbly with your God. But that is not something 
that God requires you to do of your own free will. It's impossible for you to do it. He instead instills in you faith in your Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why you love the grace of God, which means he gives you what you don't deserve. Notice that it's he giving it to you, not you taking it. And he does not give you the punishment you deserve. That's God saving you. Then there was this on the internet. Why should we follow Jesus' example? When we follow Jesus, we grow stronger and become more like him. Wow. Isn't that interesting? That we become like Jesus when we follow his example. That may be the teaching of many religions, but it is impossible to follow Jesus. We don't grow stronger and become more like him by obeying his commandments. No, we follow him because we love Jesus as the light of God. We remember sunflowers, it says, follow the sun across the sky. And that's how they grow stronger. So we follow Jesus' light and example through faith in Jesus Christ, who died so that we will never die, and who lives so that we live eternally. This following the example of Jesus can easily be misunderstood. And to follow the example is found in 1 Peter chapter 2. For to this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. That comes about through faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't create faith following him, but faith creates the ability for us to follow him. Only believers follow Jesus Christ for their salvation. I'm Tom Baker, and we'll continue tomorrow with the hymn, The King of Love My Shepherd Is. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.